the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into Hour 3 this Wednesday, September 8th. It's a delight to bring back good friend Lee Habib. He's a columnist for Newsweek, the vice president of content here at Salem Media. You've heard him guest host for other hosts on this network. He's also the host of Our American Stories. Lee, welcome back. I have to tell you something. I mean it as a compliment, and I don't want you to take it as a criticism. <laughs> I truly mean it as a compliment. There, I don't know of any other writer or guest who thinks um, about things in precisely the same way as I do. I mean that as a compliment to you. Please don't take it as a criticism. But you, no, I'll take it. I'll take it as a, not only a compliment, Seth, but I love how you you try and use reason and not our harmonium attack. And and there's a lot of great. Um, and, you know, that's what I was trying to do with this mayor. Look, she judged me, but I want to talk to her about how to talk to people Good. and judging them and shaming them. This mayor who shamed me into, you know, and we'll get into the column, but this mayor treated me a citizen rudely. And uh, I didn't want to treat her rudely back. No, and you didn't. You did a you did a good public service that said a lot of things that I think a lot of Americans think and don't have or are afraid to say. So let's start from the beginning, Lee Habib. You are a resident of Oxford, Mississippi. You uh, live um, in a city that is governed by one mayor, Tannehill. She said what? Well, she said in a national TV show, an anchor said to her, I'm going to read from the transcript. I'm sure you're getting pushback. And people were saying to you, it's my choice. Tell me what to do. Tannehill expressed frustration with her constituents for not vaccinating at a rate she'd like, including young people. Mm-hmm. And by the way, five times she said, I'm frustrated. Yep. And so here was her response. Certainly we do. And it is your choice. And we hope people will make the choice not to be selfish and help our community move forward. We are at a time when people are taking up hospital beds who choose to be vaccinated. Unvaccinated. Yeah, talk- right, right. Yeah. And so she was talking directly to me, Seth. Because I had chosen not to take the second vaccination shot because the first one had not only an adverse effect, but had an adverse effect on a surgery I had 10 years ago where a top surgeon called me and said, do not take the second. You should not have taken the first. You're healthy and you have a greater risk of hurting your heart through the vaccine than you do through COVID. You you were following doctor's orders. Following not only doctor's orders, but a surgeon's order, one of the best surgeons in the Southeast. Okay. And so she's calling me selfish. Mm-hmm. She's also implying I'm some kind of anti-vaxxer, which I'm not, but I'm rational. And so what I decided to do is say, look, Mayor, what you did wasn't just repellent, it was personal. Mm-hmm. In my family of four, and I have great access to doctors, we came up with different vaccination conclusions based on personal circumstances. My wife's mom, for instance, said. She lives with us. She's in her 70s. She smokes. She has lung issues, and she has uh, kidney issues and weight issues. We convinced her in very short time, and a whole bunch of seniors, take the vaccine. You're vulnerable, and 80% of the deaths are over 65 with comorbidity, and we don't want to kill you. Right. She took it right away, like first in line practically. 
I was almost second in line because I'm 60. I'm old, older, and even though I'm really in health and I'm yeah, there, I haven't seen I you in a while, but I always remember you to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I've taken two sick days my entire life yeah. and have never taken so much as an aspirin. Yeah, and and but I took it anyway because I'm 60, and what do I have to lose? You know, I don't have that many more years to live, maybe 20, and the long-term effects of this, I worry much more about. On my 16-year-old, if there's a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, ninth, who knows how many doses? Right. So my wife, so I took the first vaccine. I wasn't anti-vax. In fact, I took it and I shouldn't. Have. Okay. My wife is a picture of health in her 40s, and she's allergic to almost every medication she's ever taken. And so she said, "I just don't have good experience with medication." Generally not, healthy, uh, not not a lot of comorbidities. If it's okay to ask none, you that, okay. Zero. Okay. I mean, her blood work is blood work of a 25. Okay. And my 16 year my 16 year old is the picture of health. Okay. All three of us got COVID. We did not give it to uh, Nana. His men's taking care of. Mm-hmm. We did the right things medically in our house. Each one of us is different. And then I just started asking her questions. I, I said, "You know, if you were mayor of New York in the 80s." Would you have shamed AIDS patients um, who either through sexual bad practices and or the vaccination um, of sharing needles? Would you shame them uh, because they were tying up the resources of New York hospitals? Those who those who did are uh, were embarrassments and are embarrassed. And and are and I said you know all the hospitals that were getting filled and you know the subject of yep. fentanyl yep. you know two years ago last year oh my goodness emergency rooms were being overrun did anyone blame these addicts nope that's not our job as nope. doctors as mayors we, we treat them yep and so I just and then I went on and I just you know I just kept going I said you know you shouldn't shame your constituents. You're starting to sound like cleric, mm-hmm. like someone who is trained up in some madrasa and wants to just tell us we're awful people. You're sounding like you're some religious figure. And I wanted to remind her she was my mayor, not my doctor. Mm-hmm. I was a constituent, and I'm smart. And there are a lot of people who are skeptical about this drug, because let's face it, Seth, it's not like pharma had high ratings going into That's this. That's a very good point. That's a very, or the, or, 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 may I say, the CDC or FDA, by the way. Well, and I might answer that. An, uh, an Axios poll put FDA and pharma together, and the level of trust was 10% in the country. Right. And by the way, I might answer any of us who've done and worked on Right to Try, there are life saving drugs in the pipeline right now that could save 10, 20, 30,000 cancer patients. It takes nine years right. and a billion dollars right. to get through. Right. And if we remember, it was it was the Democrats saying, I don't trust not only Trump, but I don't trust that the politicians are using political pressure on the CDC. That's legitimate skepticism of Democrats, and it should be legitimate skepticism of Americans. Are the drug companies so powerful? Has their lobbying arms, is their lobbying arms so strong? Has their donations to the CDC, they've given away $74 million to the CDC's nonprofit. No one knows I, Yeah, that, I right? didn't know about that either, Lee. I'd like you to repeat that because that's that's something very few people know. If you, Do you mind just yeah, restating that? I'll quote the line. I'll quote the line in the link. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention acceptance of millions of dollars through its nonprofit foundation from companies like Pfizer, Biogen, and Merck. $79.6 million to 2018 alone adds to the skepticism, yep. and that's not counting the $220 million big farmers spends annually lobbying Congress. That's and by right. the way, yeah. I also wrote a column congratulating Big Pharma because they did get this vaccine 
in fact, sure. I wrote a, I, something earlier congratulating the essay in a different essay, yep. but that we still have a right. Um, you, now you've got to convince the people that politics, is, politics didn't drive this, and you got to pull them in. You can't hit them over the head. But it's half of this country, at least, maybe more, have skepticism about our own government itself as a part of our DNA and a distrust of centralized power. We trust our doctor. And what I think a lot of us have felt through this process is that the doctor-patient relationship is once again under attack. A doctor wants to prescribe you something, and suddenly some bureaucrat in Washington tells his clinical experience, my personal experience, and my trust in my doctor, you know what, your doctor and you are dimwit. We're smarter. Take this. Don't take that. Mm -hmm. So I added all these things together and said, look, there's a healthy reason for skepticism. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you guys have never mentioned obesity. That's right. You've never mentioned death rate. And the biggest one, Seth, is I keep hearing about kids dying and kids dying. So I just, I, you know, it's not hard to find this data. Nope. Under 21, 300, and a, 300, a little over 300 people have died of, of COVID. And 95% of them had really, really serious comorbidity. Marty McCary at Johns Hopkins says every every single child had something other than just COVID. And so now the quote science people are trying to scare and shame us Mm -hmm. rather than give us the data so we can do what every parent does when they do the most dangerous things that they ever do with a 16-year-old. They give them the keys to their own car. Yep. 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 That's a very good point, Lee. I don't know... If you've been watching Bill Maher show lately, I just oh, for a while. It turns out that this comedian, who no one heard of twenty-one years ago, this comedian is hosting discussions on his show that are more serious and more well balanced on these very issues you just talked about than anywhere else I can find in the media outside of his show and talk radio. And it's really weird because he got into the obesity thing over the weekend. With uh, two liberals, one a one a pronounced Democrat, former member of Congress, and he was making the point that you make, Lee. One of the points that you make, which was the problem here, is that we are all different. We are all different with different T cells, different chemistries, different immunities. The Amish are different than those raised in Fairfax, Los Angeles. And you know, it was really weird. The Democrat Max Rose, his name was. You know who he is. He said that's just not true, and that's a very dangerous message. It's a lie. He's telling a lie. i got to take a quick break, Lee. Can you hang with me a little bit, or do you got to run? No, i got to hang. Great. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Lee Habib. He is a contributor, of course, to Newsweek. Many of you know him as a guest host on a lot of these platforms, as he is the vice president here of um, content at Salem Media, and he's also the host of Our American Stories, another great project of his. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Lee Habib has uh, delightfully uh, agreed to uh, give us a little more time. He's a columnist at Newsweek, vice president of content here at Salem, and host of Our American Stories. His open letter, current issue of uh, current uh, issue of Newsweek, COVID patient response to mayor's charge. He's selfish about vaccination. Lee, can I pick up on what you were just talking about, what I was talking about, about everyone being different. Uh, this was a big yeah. issue on the Bill Maher show the other day. And Max Rose, a Democrat who was an advisor to Biden, was denying this and saying that's a dangerous message. But anyone who's really can take a step back knows that it's eminently true. We all know people. Some of us are those people. But we all know people 
who have been exposed to COVID, some got it and some didn't. Of course, everyone's reacting differently to COVID. Of course we are. It is absurd and stupid, actually, if not dangerous, for someone to say we are all the same and there is no distinction. And that's what bugs me about this, right? I mean, in the end, think about how we deal with our doctors. Now, my mom was 80. She got cancer. One doctor said, you should get chemo. It's worth it. She's healthy. Another doctor said, not worth it. The chemo might kill her. Mm -hmm. And the priest said, you know, this is not what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. Honor her request. She'd like to smoke for the last few years of her life and quit telling her what to do. So I had a priest telling me to give my mom some cigarettes. I had one doctor who's a great surgeon in New York saying she can take the chemo. I had another great the doctor in Hackensack Medical Center. And guess what they all said? It's your mom's choice. The sovereignty of the individual and their conscience, the doctor-patient relationship has been smashed by these bureaucracies. And it's inhuman. And then when you have a mayor say that I'm selfish and that we need to take one for the team, essentially, if I had taken that second dose for the team, I may have been dead from a stroke from blood clots moving from my lungs to my brain. Right. So she doesn't know me. She doesn't know my family. She doesn't know my medical history. She doesn't know my relationship with doctors. And moreover, she doesn't know my philosophical view of life or my theological view of life. In other words, she could care less about me. She cares about the, quote, community. And by the way, just back to that obesity thing, I had accused her of saying, hey, look, you know the comorbidity rate of death with obesity. It's on about 2.2 million of the 2.5 million global deaths, according to Johns Hopkins University, of obesity as the number one underlying condition, driving all the others. And I told her, look, in our state, we know this, 13% of adult population has diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and another 814,000. 35% 35% of our adult population has prediabetes. Mm. It costs us $2.5 billion a year, $900 million a year in indirect costs. I've never heard her call fat people selfish for chewing up all these resources and taking up all these hospital beds because that's an obscenity to do it. She doesn't fat shame people, and that's right, but she'll shame all of us for not taking this drug. And it's just it's not a good approach. I don't know if you know it, Seth, but in this article, it stunned me. When, the, when the Hopkins did that study, it turned out that, the, and this is a quote from the study, that there, the, the death rates were 10 times higher in countries where more than 50% of the population is overweight. Right. Near the top of that obesity list were England and America, yep. which both suffered the number one and two mortality rates. Vietnam, on the other hand, had the lowest COVID death rate in the world. It also happens to have the second lowest obesity rate, and this was their conclusion. Not a, there is not a single example internationally of a country with low levels of obesity and high death rates. Nobody give us, gives us these contexts. They deny the population the real calculus of risk for kids, who's dying, who's not. And if we had only from the beginning, Seth, isolated our aged population, got them away from the young, I think our, our rules were overbroad, as government will do. And we, if we would have only isolated our over-60 crowd or 65, we could have saved—I think we could have saved half the lives. I, I agree with you totally. Um, I was saying somewhat tongue-in-cheek, it's time to start carding old people, not young people, about going out in public or to bars and public restaurants, uh, because that would be the, the population we want to protect. But on the more serious note, I have a physician friend in town here. She's been on this show, so I can mention her name, Jennifer Fonches. 
She put out a post saying, I, I, I'm just gobsmacked when I go into a grocery store and see people with masking and double masking while they fill their grocery carts with Doritos and frozen pizzas and double stuff Oreos. Do they not realize that the CDC has guidelines on obesity, too, which, by the way, without COVID takes 300,000 lives a year? When's the yep. last time you heard the government say a damn thing about it? Not very often. Not very often. 93,000 deaths. You you go back to the subject you and I last talked about, I think, fentanyl. 93,000 drug overdose deaths last year, by the way, most of which, 60 percent of which under the age of 50. Are we going to talk about that or not? Are we are we going to continue to punish young people, Lee, to preserve that which you are discussing is the most vulnerable when they are not. I, I just think we've inflicted enough harm on our kids. I just do. You know, I, have a, I have a wonderful friend who's an immunologist in a hospital in Memphis, and this is his space, and another who's a pulmonologist, and they're really smart. You know, they both went to great medical schools. They do, both do research. They both have clinical practices. And they said, look, we're conducting a massive immunological experiment on a drug that hasn't been around. Right. And we're now asking people to take multiple doses. Mm-hmm. And every parent has every right to say no to their children doing this. And yet the full court presses on. Yeah. It's now mandatory. But the fact that the Ole Miss just voted that it's man- they want it to be mandatory that kids take the vaccine or they- they're going to lose a year of school. And you just you can't. This kind of. It's kind of it's almost a form of tyranny or it is. Well, it's certainly a form of bullying these kids to start with. I mean, it's not as if our kids need to be more isolated from one another and given more reason to attack one another over issues in the family. Right. I mean, it it, it is pitting family against family. And I guess it leaves me with this question outside of someone like you who does a lot of the research and has a family that's very into it. What do you think are the other reasons for hesitancy? I have my theory, and it's based on – can you hear the paper in my hand? I just wrote it down. About 13 things the CDC or Anthony Fauci have said on major issues for a year that turned out to be wrong within a month. Wrong I would answer this, though. Here's an overlay. Nothing wrong with science being wrong because it's always wrong. What it would be nice is if a hint of humility came from them. Here's yep. what we know. We're not sure. You can think about this, but it's okay to think about that and consult your local doctor and make the choice that you think is best. Humility would have gotten more people to try this. Um, Honesty about what you don't know. uh, Honesty about mixed opinions, courting mixed opinions, courting disagreement rather than vilifying it. And it started politically. You You know, Biden and Kamala Harris said, you know, we shouldn't trust a drug that gets rammed through, right? And and so you know the distrust comes from a lot of levels. Oh, you can you can't go to church, but you can do Black Lives Matter. Gavin Newsom wears a tells all of us to wear a mask, but he hosts a nice party in the in in his little neck of the woods in his vineyard or, or the, his favorite vineyard restaurant. And then you know a year and a half later, Barack Obama's having a maskless party. And so the people are like, are these rules real? No, is any of this no. real, or is it political? Is it right. showboating? It's, or is it's, it's, so it's the showboating. It's the showboating because what it says is those people like Obama or Gavin Newsom don't mean what they say. Yeah. They well, aren't well, as worried. They aren't as worried as they say we should be. Fine, I get yeah. that choice too. Yep. Yeah. So, so why should we trust? Why should the ordinary person, after the way this has been handled for eighteen months, trust anybody? Lee Habib, bless you, sir. Thank you. And I'm glad you're better.
God bless. Thank you. And thus concludes our foreign language segment of this show. <laughs> Welcome back, 602-508-0960. Kamala Harris is with Gavin Newsom today doing fundraising and get-out-the-vote speeches for Gavin Newsom. Barack Obama has cut a television ad against Larry Elder running on the airwaves in California, funded by Netflix, which has also hired Barack Obama to produce documentaries. Meanwhile, the RNC has not done anything about that race. The RNC has not done anything about that race. When people say Democrats know how to fight and Republicans don't, maybe that should be Exhibit A. Maybe that should be Exhibit A. Maybe when you get the kind of candidate everyone has said, this is the kind of candidate we want. Oh, gosh, I wish the Republican Party had more minorities. Oh, gosh, I wish we had people who could speak clearly. Oh, gosh, I wish we had someone who could give you a reason to vote for a Republican. Oh, gosh, I wish I had someone who could actually destroy Democratic talking points for the fraud that they are. And that person comes and takes all the slings and arrows, and the RNC is nowhere to be found? Nowhere to be found? When we've got just the kind of candidate they all and we all have been saying is the kind of candidate that rarely comes along, but we all wish we had? Okie dokie. This is why people say they're conservatives rather than Republicans. I don't have that disconnect just yet because I understand you need a party to run in and I'll take the Republican Party. Thank you very much. The party of Reagan and Lincoln over and Trump and Goldwater over the party of Jefferson Davis and Woodrow Wilson and Jimmy Carter Franklin Delano. I'll take that party. I'll take that party over the secessionists and the racists and the bigots almost any day of the week. Almost any day of the week. Jeff is in Phoenix. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Seth. How's it going? Good, sir. How are you? Great. Hey, just a couple things So uh, about the COVID and all this thing. First of all, it's, uh, it fascinates me. Um, we listen to someone who is the head of a agency who is supposed to be the know-all, be-it-all, and then tells us, and I, you corrected me. I, I had five, and I knew it was more than that. But you said thirteen times in one month. I think uh, this doctor uh, reversed this course, or changed this course, or absolutely said he was doing something different. He was wrong about what he said, whatever it was. Then people will still listen to this man. Now, would you go to a doctor that did that? Nope. I probably doubt it. Nope. Then you find out he has a stake in this so-called thing that you have monetarily, and it's proven fact. Then. We have what's come out today by The Intercept and Green, Glenn Greenwald and all these other people are talking about it. The 900 pages that The Intercept got and basically shows that he did have gain of function and all this thing is proved. Uh, Ron Paul, he commented on it. He's saying that he's been proven right. So why are people even – how is there a, a shield? That, I don't understand how people can't see this is absolute truth. This isn't fact, non-factual. This isn't like made up. Uh, like the sky's blue and no, we're saying it's green. I mean, this is fact. It's proven. And people are denying it. I think, Jeff, they – we deal with something called in this country um, 
invincible ignorance. And what it is is the inability to accept someone's argument you disagree with, even though it's based in facts you can't disprove. You just decide to ignore them anyway. Lewis Hart said the best response is no response to some arguments. And people who see these kinds of things, these kinds of stories, if they see them, by the way, if, it's awfully hard to get that intercept story around, but if they see them, they'll either say, oh, well, I, you know, who knows? Who knows? I don't care. Fauci, Fauci's the, the respected being... guy. We'll listen to Fauci. You know, everyone says we should listen. They just, they just won't accept an argument. Now, Let's, well, it shows you that they're on the take. They're on the take. They're not. They're not journalists anymore. This is no longer journalism. This is no longer actual what the profession is supposed to be about. Journalism is, is what the Intercept did. Journalism is exactly. going after a story, researching it, wearing out some of your shoe leather, wearing out some of your eye power, getting into the library, searching the documents, doing interviews, and too few have any interest in this whatsoever at all they're just willing to take biden at his word and fauci at his word and if rand paul says it it can't be true some of them may be on the take i'll, I'll take your word for it jeff i i've never really done a lot of research on the on the take issue because i've never really it, it, for whatever reason i've always thought ideology was stronger than money and you know a lot of these journalists don't have a lot of money and aren't on the take but boy are they drenched in socialist and Marxist outlooks and also levels of idiocy you would not believe? that happen i had to let that let him finish finish the um that bar of music otherwise it would be an earworm in your head all night long i can't give you the incomplete when it's building up to a crescendo like that joshua is in gilbert thank you for your patience sir how are you hey i'm well Seth. thanks for taking the call again you betcha hey um real quick i saw a couple of articles written by dan gerlerner i believe last week and then today in american greatness that were just fantastic about the California recall and uh, the one today um, having to do a little bit more about kind of how the Supreme Court gets involved with some of these issues. Um, you know, I won't go into the details, but a fantastic article. And I really was just calling, you know, strictly about how he basically says the fix is already in. And, uh, you know, they're basically sending mail out ballots. You can print ma- ballots from your own home and they will still count ballots, I believe, up until September 14th which is, you know, what, seven days after the election. So I just think when it really all comes back down to it, um, it's the election integrity is really going to be the key to really getting back any kind of country or aspect of, you know, what we really want. And um, it's just a real concern, um, real concern. So I'm really thought. concerned about it, too. Uh, Larry, I've heard Larry Elder talking about it, and... While he has uh, his concerns as well, 
he said one big difference between what happened before and now is they have a lot of attorneys already on the case uh, and have for weeks. Uh, So hopefully it bears out for the good, Joshua. I'm going to have Dan on tomorrow, uh, the author you just mentioned, Dan Gilerter. I think I'm having him on tomorrow. We usually have him on two or three times a month. He is a fantastic, um, a fantastic young conservative writer. Uh, so thanks for pointing that out. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I my 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 bigger concern right now is, and maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but my, my I'm worried more about our team than their team right now. I, I don't know why the nation couldn't look, the National Republican Party or movement couldn't look at this race that was margin of error tied was within the margin of an margin of error uh just a few weeks ago why the republicans nationally couldn't look at this and say oh my gosh we can flip california we can flip california and by the way do you know what flipping california means it also could mean could mean a republican appointee to the u.s senate tilting the senate in our favor it could mean all of that and we could have and still can have it but think of how much easier this path would have been if the Republican Party nationally would have stepped up and if Republicans nationally would have stepped up. Right. Can I just make a comment on that super Please. quick? Um, I thought when the – now, I thought a couple months ago the RNC officially came out and said they didn't want to back a candidate because of whatever reason. And I thought Larry Elder and some other people at the time said that was a good idea because maybe they were afraid they were going to – be, it was going to be used as, oh, this is just a Trump recall. So I think the candidates polling sure. low were thought it was a good idea. The, there, there were two Republicans or are two Republicans. Whether Larry did or didn't, I don't recall. I don't think he swayed in on it. I, I could see why the others wouldn't. But, you know, it. At, 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 I, I understand the Republican Party in states as well as nationally is loath to get into primary races or races where there are Republicans competing against each other. In this case, it's not technically a primary. It's quasi-primary, if you will. Mm-hmm. But how has that worked out for us? Honest to God, how has that worked out for us? I mean, I don't think establish—I get the under—I uh, appreciate the problem with the establishment thinking— but last I saw, the head of the RNC was put there by Donald Trump. And last I saw, the heads of these parties in these states have been bragging about their closeness to the conservative movement. So when you have a candidate that not only can win, but can, you know, change the future of the country, never mind solidify the strength of the party, why the heck wouldn't you get in? I just I it just makes no sense to me. Honest to God, Joshua, it doesn't. Right. You I mean, can't well, win wars you sit out. Years? You can't win wars you sit out. <laughs> well, weren't there rumors for years the RNC wasn't even really helping Trump in the end as well, whether it was legal Oh, I think it was established. So. I Absolutely. That's why he put his people in there that presumably are still the same people, you know, presumably. Yeah. I mean, if Trump runs again or if someone like Ron DeSantis uh, becomes the nominee um, or— I don't know who else is running these days. I, I'm not sure. Some people talk about Mike Pompeo or Pence. Um, you could have a DeSantis, possibly even a DeSantis elder ticket. I mean, 
you know, you could have all of that. Are you going to tell me the RNC isn't going to be backing and supportive of those? I hope they learned their lesson with not being there in 2016. I really do. Trump had nothing. Mm -hmm. Think about what Trump did in 2016. He had no establishment. He did not have the RNC. He he was taking a lot of incoming, uh, not so, I was going to call it friendly fire. It wasn't so friendly. Uh, from his own team. He had previous nominees he had endorsed and who were happy to have his endorsement and did press conferences with them, like Mitt Romney denouncing him as the most dangerous man to ever occupy the White House if he were to get elected. I mean, you know, he did it with nothing but his own family and the goodness of the American heart and soul. He did it with no- But, you know, it's a very it's it's a very rare accomplishment. He also had 40 years of being in the public eye. And he had several billion dollars. I mean, you just can't. It, it's it's a one-off kind of situation. And if the RNC nationally and the Republican parties at the state level aren't going to get behind people that stand for what this party believes in, I don't know what the point of it is anymore. I just don't. Yeah. Thanks, Beth. Appreciate it. No, thank you, Joshua. I'm just a dial tone. Bless you. I have a treat for you to close the show put together by our producer, Pro Tem. We'll be right back. Jeff here with 3D Money. In his first 100 days, Joe Biden is the $6 trillion spending man. On top of that, in the last year and a half, the Federal Reserve has created $4 trillion out of thin air. While everybody is focused on their account balances, they're missing the point. Real wealth is the stuff you can buy with the money you have. As more money gets created, the money you have buys less and less. That's why 3D Money's 6% account is such a unique thing. Investing in physical assets like cash-flowing real estate is the best way you can protect your money from inflation. For information about our 6% account, call us at 800-674-3015 or go to 3dmoney.com. We've got your six. This is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Station. I'm looking for a smart woman in a real short skirt. Smart woman knows how to flirt. Smart woman. The woman this was written about called into this show um, and is a listener. I hope she calls in again. That was a fun story. I'm going to end with a brain, uh, a brain inspiration uh, of our producer pro Tim, Chris Llewellyn. I misspoke earlier. It was not Howard Johnson who spoke like Joe Biden. In Blazing Saddles, it was Gabby Johnson. So here was Joe Biden today speaking. I don't know. I don't know what language this is. Here's Joe Biden. Now, do you want the back? You know what? Or do you want? You know what? Do, do what you want? you want to do. This is too fun. Just okay. do what you want so to do. So there's two. There's okay. back to back. Yeah. And then there's a mixture if anybody can figure Let's it out. Let's do the so. back to back and then the mixture. Perfect. Okay. Uh, you know, the looks like a tornado, they don't call them that anymore, that hit the crops and, and wetlands in 
the middle of the country and in Iowa and Nevada and I mean it's just across the board and uh, you know um, uh, as I said we're in this together hell I was born here and I was raised here and that coming I'm gonna die here and no sidewind and bushwhacking hornswoggle and crocker crocker is gonna roll my Christmas cutter now who can argue with that Robert I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. That could have been Jake Tapper at CNN about Joe Biden, but do, do what you did. Now, this you figure easy. out which okay. one is Biden and which uh, one is Gabby Johnson all right. in this clip. Okay. Uh, you know, the looks like a tornado. They don't call them that anymore. Hell, I was born here. That hit the crops <laughs> and, and wetlands <laughs> in the middle of the country. And, and I was raised here. <laughs> And that coming, I'm going to die here. In Iowa, in Nevada, and I mean, it's just across the board. Now, who can argue with that? <laughs> no sidewinding, bushwhacking, hornswoggling, cracker crocker is going to ruin my biscuit cutter. President Gabby Johnson. All right, America. All right, it is true. This is a country where anyone can grow up to be president. I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all. Chris, thank you. Until tomorrow, class dismissed. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. Angie's List is now Angie. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or you're planning your dream renovation, Angie connects you with top local pros who can get the job done right. See reviews, compare quotes, and book hundreds of projects. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, we'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with our happiness guarantee. Check out Angie.com. And for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee.htm. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to... uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.